Hey, it's Arrow. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. This is episode number 261 with Glynis McNichol from the podcast Wilder. Glynis, oh my God, to, to have this podcast. I mean, this is like bringing my childhood back to life. <laughs> I'm glad that you're saying that. I think what gets lost is uh, that a lot of boys are familiar with Little House too of a certain generation without question. Well, I owe it all to my third grade teacher. She's the one that introduced me to Laura Ingalls because I was a writer as at that age. And she goes, you need to learn to share stories like Laura Ingalls. And so she made sure that I sat down and read those books. Oh, wow. Do you remember if you had a favorite? You know what? Because of the TV show, I, I because mm-hmm. I would go to the TV show and go, that's not the way it went. That's not what I read. Mm-hmm. And and so that, that was one of my biggest struggles as a young adult was the fact that I thought that the TV show was based on Laura Ingalls. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting. We tell we do an episode on the TV show um, and people I, I loved both and I understood them as sort of two different things. But uh, many, many people had the same reaction as you did. Uh, why is this TV show so different from the books? Really, the TV show is about Michael Landon, yeah. who I love, but is not, you know, Laura Ingalls. Uh, so they are very, very different. Uh, in but. You know, what I found so interesting and what I talked to a number of people who were involved in the TV show was like both the TV show and the books are iconic and have this global following and they're two separate things. So what is the overlap in this Venn diagram that, you know, compels us all to come keep returning to Laura Ingalls Wilder in whatever form she appears. Well, how did you piece it together? Because, I mean, you're the one that dug in. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's interesting. I really. The books. I read the books so many times and I loved them so much as a kid and trying to come back to them with a cold eye and really truly assess them has been really interesting. And I think with the books, you have this adventurous young girl who, you know, is a little attracted to danger and likes to be, you know, has a lot of agency. And at the same time, she likes dresses and pretty hair and she has this very sort of safe family. So there's a lot of complicated things going on that I'm not sure girls got delivered in stories necessarily and then add to the fact that she was a real person and you could you know i used to map out her travels on my parents atlas you know before the internet obviously (laughs) um (laughs) a couple of times in the podcast i've had to explain what i'm talking about but um and so i think that was it it's like oh here's a way to be in the world um and she was real and it was possible and and if you wanted to be a writer as a kid it was like oh and you can write about your life Mm -hmm. And that's worthwhile. Like mm-hmm. these small things you're writing about, whether it's, you know, churning butter or running with your dog in the prairie grass, like this is interesting enough um, and valid. And so I think there's that. And there's a real, you know, the word that keeps coming up is cozy. There's a coziness and a safety to those books of this family unit that's really devoted to one another and sort of the outside world that they um, are protected from. The television show, I mean, I watch that television show every day after school and (laughs) it's like imprinted on on your brain, all these strange episodes. And there is some similarity of that, um, of that family unit. And I don't mean that in a sort of treacly Norman Rockwell way. I think there was, when you go back and watch that show, it's sort of incredible. Like there are children dying in episodes, people die, there's violence. Like you would come home from school, especially, you know, as a child in the eighties, you'd be home alone from school, eating your cookies after, you know, that you got from the cupboard and like, you'd watch this crazy episode and like, 
smallpox would take over the town and everyone would die or somebody's an alcoholic and they're beating up their kid. And I think there was like a real sort of um, like weirdly a a real life aspect to the show. And also you had the coziness of family and also, and I can't overstate this, Michael Landon is like, you can't take your eyes off him. He's the most charismatic, you know, charming person. And I think a lot of people felt, you know, why is this show that's a scent based on books about a woman yeah, yeah. <laughs> starring this this man who seems to find a reason to take his shirt off nearly every episode. He was always breaking <laughs> his ribs. <laughs> he's like, he's got perfect hair and like glistening, glistening abs and he's always taking his shirt off. But also he was just like lovely and always crying and very emotional and everyone loved him. So it's it is a really... Um, the combination of all of these things, I think, is like, you just can't get enough of it. And still, I mean, when you, this show's 50 years old now, and there's yeah. plenty of problems with it, as there is with everything half a century old, but you still, you're still like, yeah, I can't stop watching. Well, you're absolutely right about that, because I mean, what it does is it ignites so many different types of emotions, because I mean, as a kid, when I read the books, I didn't think of it as innocent times. I compared my life to her life because we were also building our home in Montana and and, and, oh, and, wow. and being out in Montana. That's the Wild West. So therefore, I saw the Wild West inside her pages. But as an adult, I look back and I go, oh, she had simpler times, but don't invite me back there because I don't want to feed the pigs. I, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that but it, it was it was truly America. And I was I always felt like that Dolly Parton should have written a theme song or something for it because because it is about about storytelling. Oh, absolutely! And it's interesting you say that because I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto, and some of the the what you saw and, and related to in terms of house building and that was so compelling to me. Like I de- desperately wanted a pig's bladder to kick around. I thought that was the coolest. <laughs> and like. I wanted to live in a dugout beside a creek. And as a grown up, I go back to this and I'm like, oh my, I, you could not pay me to live. Right, like, if this right. is awful. You, you, you know, their teeth were in terrible shape and God knows what kind of smells were happening. Um, but it really, there's, what's interesting to me is in a grown up going back to this is a lot of, they lived in severe poverty yes. and a lot of precarity and danger and it's all in the books. It's it's not that she takes it out of the books. It's just that the manner in which she weaves it together with this love of family. And also you do get a sense that Laura has like, she, she, she likes a little danger. Like you get a sense of that even when she's a kid, you know, she likes to go and look at the wolves and she's pretty, she's pretty interested. Um, that it's woven together in a way that makes it scary but scary that pause between you and the scariness you know like you are protected from this even though you like it and i think as a kid and it's i think it's easy for us to forget this like things did seem dangerous and scary and not looking away from that in the books i think was probably very compelling to kids because it is there you're not trying to sort of whitewash it away but it's there in a way that doesn't make you feel that you're so vulnerable to it that um, you can't escape. You know, she was almost like a Nancy Drew or a Hardy Boys to me in in the way that she did take those chances. Because I I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer that that I live in this forest in South Charlotte, North Carolina. We I mean we we replenish this forest with 1,700 trees, all because of Laura Ingalls. Only because I wanted to to continue to have that kind of a lifestyle where it's about being surrounded by nature, being surrounded by mm-hmm. wild. And I mean, it's just one of those things that that she, that Laura Ingalls planted inside of me that has never left me. That's incredible. I, you know, I mean, I, I, 
I find that very moving, actually. And the episode that hasn't come out yet, but we're working on, we talked to an environmental historian because I, I wanted to know, you know, when she describes the plagues of grasshoppers, what how much of that is based on reality? And he said, oh, it was much worse in real life than what she describes. But he also made this point that really stuck with me that she was describing a landscape that no longer exists, that there was prairie grasses that have now gone extinct because mm-hmm. of, you know, homesteading and there are animals that no longer exist. And, you know, obviously buffalo, she's sort of describing the aftermath of this. And all of this, when you really realize the the America she was describing, we can no longer see, I think, brings an added beauty and almost like an elegy to to the wildness she's talking about. And it made me think there's a reason we're all so attracted to this and that it sticks with you the way it clearly stuck with you. Like she saw a world that we can't see anymore and she saw it for us, essentially. Is it odd to you that when we think of Laura Ingalls, we think of Melissa Gilbert because I've been with Melissa. She is the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest girl. She's, we spoke to her for the podcast. She's wonderful. Um, I was devoted to her as a kid. When she got on, I said, just, I know you must deal with this quite a lot, but know that my eight-year-old self is, you know, yep. has passed out from <laughs> excitement right now. <laughs> um, I did ask her, though, because I think that there are two types of fans of Little House, and some people are deeply, deeply devoted to the books and, and won't have anything to do with the show. And then, of course, there are the people who are obsessed with the show and the books. And I said, what is it like to shoulder this legacy and she said only good things she just said it it's been extraordinary and such a privilege and that's we talked to everyone who was on the show that's still alive they were all wonderful um just wonderful people and they only ever had wonderful things to say about it but i don't know i mean melissa gilbert she's she was perfect she was perfect Mm -hmm. i mean she what she brought to that always felt i could never get enough of her ever i mean (laughs) It's just, there was a reason I was stapling yarn braids to all of my hats, and I'm pretty sure it was the show. <laughs> now, w- w- will you talk with Carolina Fraser Because she wrote a book called Prairie Fires, and, and it really we, dives into it. Yeah, we were really fortunate that she gave us an extensive interview. Oh, my so we've God, sort you're of, so lucky. That's cool. It, it is. It was really cool. I think that book is extraordinary. Um, I did ask her if anyone has read the book, uh, won the Pulitzer four or five years ago. Uh, she spends a lot of time on Laura's daughter, Rose, mm-hmm. who I think um, not many people know enough about. And Rose is a very difficult person to spend that much time with. <laughs> By the end of that book, I was like, I, I have got to get away from Rose. It's just, this is too much. And I said to Caroline, like, what was it like to live with Rose Wilder Lane for this long? And she said it was difficult. But I think that's from that book, one of the big things I took away was the extremely intense, complicated relationship Laura had with her daughter, Rose Wilder Lane, and and Rose's involvement in the writing of the books. And also Rose is an American figure. You know, Rose, separate from her mother, was one of the most successful freelance writers in the country for decades. And she is a sort of founding um, I don't think members the right word, but she's she is at the founding of the Libertarian Party. She's wow. credited as. Yeah. And so she's really the reason we have the TV show is because there was no heirs to Rose didn't have any living children. Laura didn't have any other children. None of her sisters had children. And Rose had taken on um, sort of like this neighbor boy who who 
was eventually went to Harvard and was very educated. And she left him the entire copyright of Little House, the books. And he then turned around and took it to Hollywood, which is how we have the show. So these, this legacy goes through all of these twists and turns, which I think because the books present such a, a simple, cozy version of their lives, it, it becomes surprising how complicated the reality was and how fraught and how dramatic and how much dysfunction there was inevitably. I, I don't know how there couldn't have been dysfunction in a family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we have a better understanding of sort of the trauma of severe poverty, but when you really get into it, it's like, wow, there's mm. a lot of powerful, uh, figures happening here at the same time. I'm glad you brought up the continuation of the story and the way that it got to television, because I, I am a daily writer. I've got 29 years of daily writing and people go, so are we going to burn these with you when you pass? No, it's not <laughs> for me. And, and, and I do mm -hmm. in, in that daily writing, I do say this a lot. I'll go, dear future reader, here's what's going on right now. You won't understand it, but I'm experiencing this lockdown and, and you won't ever mm -hmm. believe it. But we really did go through this. You know what was really interesting to me about um, about why when the books were popular and when the show was popular was the books were published in the early 1930s at the height of the Great Depression. Yes. And Laura was writing about the 1870s, which I'm not sure we fully grasp was sort of the original Great Depression. It was a time of severe economic hardship in America, particularly in that part of the country. There was plagues of grasshoppers. I mean, the whole the whole thing and and i think in the 30s readers really related to the lifestyle laura was writing about like it wasn't it wasn't a fantasy to them and it wasn't sort of alien to them it was very very present and she was relating to what they were experiencing but from a distance of clearly her own childhood when the television show came out in the 70s of course the economy in america in the 70s was also going through a pretty tough time and so you really see and then and again during covid there was a sort of a resurgence of people watching the show on amazon prime and also coming back to the books and so i think you see a real resurgence um generationally of these books in moments of economic hardship and that there are universal themes in there and experiences that even though if they look a little bit different to us in this moment, you know, at their core are very similar to what people have experienced, you know, over this last 200 years in this country. And Alison Arngrim, who played Nellie Olson on the television yes. show, who's wonderful. We spoke to she was delightful. <laughs> nasty girl, um, nasty girl on that TV yeah. show. <laughs> She's so funny, too. Her voice is exactly the same. It was really. But, you know, she and Melissa Gilbert are quite good friends in real life, which I thought is such a, a lovely sort of legacy <laughs> of the show. But she said something to us, which I really thought about. She said um, the reason the show and the books are still popular globally is because, you know, 80% of people on planet Earth are still living in ways in which Laura describes in the book, yeah. in like severe poverty and precariousness and all of these things. And she's like, it's not actually that distant. It's just distant to, to us sort of in certain parts of America or, or North America. Like it's not actually that far away. And there's a reason, you know, it appeals 
And I thought that was so interesting and I hadn't thought of it before. And I and I really stayed with me as we were doing this. From one creative mind to another, and you, you talk about the poverty of Laura Ingalls. I grew up in, in in a Salvation Army family, and I and I've always wondered why did I write? And so understanding Laura Ingalls because she was in that, and now I'm also reminded of even Anne Frank being in in her position mm-hmm. and stuff. I'm amazed at how writers come out of darkness, and and and, mm-hmm. and it affects other people in ways that bring the bring us all together inside the imagination. Absolutely. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I really thought that the Laura had written these books like at the age she was in the books. I thought it was like the books had just come directly out of right. her head at age nine. They felt so it was like she's they talking didn't, into my. They didn't come out. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure, I, oh, my God. She wrote this as an adult looking back. Yeah. yeah oh, she wrote God. this as a 65 year old woman. Well, see, she now, wrote this. I've learned something. I mean, I know, isn't it? But I think that speaks to the craft of those books that as a kid, I was like, why is this in the fiction section, first of all? Yeah. And then the shock the first time I saw a photo of her, an author photo of her, it the dissonance between how she existed in my head and the person she was when she wrote them was so enormous that I it almost, it was alarming to me. Now that I've, you know, read more and and understand better how the books came to be i think i'm so moved by the ability laura had been working from the age of nine Mm -hmm. she severe deprivation and poverty and i just think like i get tired at the end of the day sometimes and i don't live like that at all and i'm like she sat down at the age of 65 and wrote about her childhood and i think when you talk about you know traumatic upbringings and turning people into writers i think part of what was motivating her is her you know charles had died uh in 1900 but shortly before the books she sat down to do the books her mother had died and mary had died and i think she had a moment of wanting to capture her childhood before it was almost too late or wanting to get it down before it disappeared. And I think I imagine part of that is grief. But what you find in the books is it almost feels like she's trying to heal herself in a way. Those extensive descriptions of food, which as a kid didn't hold my attention so much, but as a grown up understanding that they were starving quite a lot of the time and that 40 or you know 50 years later she sits down and is writing these amazing descriptions of food and how that must have sort of maybe healed some some real severe childhood experiences i find really beautiful actually because you could have sat down and write and written only about the terrible stuff and Mm -hmm. she really made the choice to sit down and write about the good things Mm-hmm. You know, they, I, I still remember where I first saw a picture of, of Laura Ingalls. It was in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And, and, and what, I, what I loved about it was that because she grew up on, the, on that, that homestead, it reminded me of my own grandparents who were on a homestead in Wyoming. And it's like, it's like it, it, it almost made her so real to me. And I think that's part of that relationship. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. She's not, you know, as a kid, I always thought she lived in the olden days, like a million years ago. Yeah. And when I realized that she'd been alive at the same time as my mother, I was like, Mom, why didn't you drive to the Ozarks and meet her? <laughs> and of course, my mother didn't. My mother grew up in a in a very small town in northern Ontario without any money. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that you were both on the planet at the same time. But she's not that long ago. And I know Caroline Fraser mentions this in the book and we have it in the podcast. Like when Laura was born, she was traveling by covered boy covered wagon 
And before she died, she flew on a jet plane to visit her daughter. Oh my God. And it, like, imagine the, the bookends of that life experience in this country are so extraordinary. And in like, we're not that far removed from it. Yeah. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. I love talking with you. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank I, you. This, this is what conversations are, are going to be about when they listen to your podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Will you be brilliant today? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you as well.